are back and we are continuing our teaching in the book of Revelation. Now we've moved to the second section in this book, which deals with the letters to the seven churches uh, that are addressed in chapters two and three. Remember that basically Revelation is divided in accordance to the command that Jesus gave John. Write the things that he is presently seeing, that is, chapter 1, the glorified Messiah, the glorified or the resurrected Jesus Christ. So that's chapter 1. And then the things which are, that is, the letters to the seven churches, those, two, those seven churches that we are going to talk about now, from Ephesus to Philadelphia to Laodicea. And, and notice I made a little break on that from Ephesus to Philadelphia and then Laodicea. But we'll talk about all of that as we move through the letters. And then finally, the things that will be hereafter. So that's what Jesus told them, right? Things that he has seen, the resurrected Christ, chapter one, the things which are the letters to the seven churches, chapters two and three, and the things that will be hereafter, chapters four through 22. Okay, and so now we are in that second part of the division, the letters to the churches, right? The things that are. And so before we get into the uh, letters to the seven churches, we need to do a little work. All right, so let's talk about what these particular letters are. The letters to the seven churches is a letter to what we call the visible church. Now, to understand that, we have to understand this. By visible church, that means that the, the ch these are inclusive of everyone who professes Jesus as their Lord and Savior. This can include, this does include both those who are truly saved and those who are not really saved, okay? But they are just merely professors and not genuinely converted to as believers in Jesus. So this is what is called the visible church. And since we're here, the invisible church, the invisible church basically is inclusive of all true and genuine believers, or in other words, people who are really, really saved. So the church is inclusive of what we call, understand, as both the visible as well as the invisible church. The visible church simply is everybody who's going to church who says that they are saved. Many of them, even today, especially today, many of them are not genuine Christians, but are merely professors of Christianity. Okay? That is the visible church. The invisible church are those who are truly and genuinely saved. Those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, and when we consider the church, you have to understand that the church is consistent of all believe all people who believe in Jesus as the Messiah from the period from the period of Pentecost that's in Acts chapter 2 all the way up to the point of the rapture that is when Jesus returns to take the church 
back to heaven. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So to understand it, this is what the church is. All right. The church does not consist of believers throughout every age. What I mean by that is this. For example, Abraham is not a member of the church. He is a member of the Old Testament saints. He is not a member of the church itself. And so therefore, only those people who have believed in Jesus as Messiah. This took place at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, the coming of the Holy Spirit, because this was the birth of the church itself. So from that period all the way up until when Jesus returns for his church. That's the first Thessalonians passage I was telling you about when it says what the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the voice of an archangel trump of God with a shout and the dead in Messiah, the dead in Christ. That's what that means. The dead, those who have died and have believed in Jesus as Messiah, the dead in Christ shall rise first and then we who are alive we who the, the we who believe and profess in Jesus as Messiah then we will also be caught up in the air to be with Messiah and so this is the rapture of the church that we are referring to so all believers from that period of Acts chapter 2 up until the rapture which has not happened yet of course the rapture of the church, they are members that constitute the makeup of the church and that alone. OK. All right. So this is what we mean. So that's our first point. The letters that Paul that Paul, I'm sorry, guys, John is writing is addressed to the, the seven churches. And these are people again in what the visible church. All right. And the visible church includes the, those who are genuinely saved and those who are just mere professors. Okay, that's point number one. Now let's talk about the structure of, this, of these letters, the, the seven letters that are addressed, the structures. And it's a basically general structure that you will basically see throughout all of the letters. Number one is the description of the glorified Messiah. So that's one of the first things that you'll see. And this will be taken. And this is what's so important about understanding chapter one. The description of the glorified Messiah, that is the glorified Jesus, will all be taken from pictures that were previously given concerning him in chapter one. So the things that we saw talked about in the description of Jesus, he will take pieces of that he just little clips not all of it but pieces of that description of him when he begins to apply it to one of the churches and 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 the description that he'll give would be different okay would be different and basically what they would do is it would have something to do with his with jesus's disposition towards that church it will have something to do with his disposition toward the church. And we'll see that as we begin to go through these letters. So we'll have number one, a description of the glorified Messiah. 
Number two, what will be generally contained in each of these letters is the words from Jesus when he says, I know, I know, I know. So and this would be in all seven of the letters to those churches. And what it basically deals with is the knowledge, the omniscience of the glorified Messiah. And that is Jesus knows intimately everything that is going on in the church, but he also knows the future happenings of the church. Okay. So by the saying of, I know he is saying that I know everything that is happening within the local church, as well as he knows the future of the churches themselves. Number three, we have an exhortation to overcome. And for each church, there will be a specific, uh, ex and when by exhortation is simply saying this, it is the, the command of Jesus and it is also encouragement from Jesus. You understand that? It is a command. He's not simply asking you to make these changes. He is also, so that's the command part. But he's also encouraging you and he he encourages uh, these churches to make the changes that he directs them to with a particular benefit to each church. And you'll also see that as we work through the address to the churches individually. And then fourth, we have this issue when he finally says he who has an ear. Let him hear what the spirit says unto the churches. And this is basically an exhortation to obey, obey, obey. OK, so now that's basically the general structure of Jesus's address to the churches. All right. OK, now let's continue on because we do need to to, to clear up some things and how to understand the letters to these churches. This is what we call our method of interpretation, our method of interpretation. And we will be using the historical prophetic interpretation, method of interpretation. Again, the historical prophetic method of interpretation. Now, exact. And this, I honestly believe there are other ways to look at how some have interpreted the letter of revelation. And I'm not going to get into that discussion because that's not my approach. And neither is that the best approach that I believe is necessary for understanding the book of revelation. So I'm going to only simply deal with this method of approach. There are others. I'm not going to deal with it because I do not believe that they are the best way to understand the letter. And you find a lot of fault in that. And I'm not going to address all of that. So I'm going to only stick with this method of approach of interpretation, historical prophetic, as we move through these letters, chapters two and three of understanding the churches of revelation. Now, let me explain the historical prophetic interpretation, that method by historical. We simply mean that these churches, that existed in the region of Asia Minor, today, modern day Turkey. Okay. These seven churches, you know, the churches of Ephesus, of Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Philadelphia, and, and Laodicea, and all of these seven churches that we're going to talk about actually existed 
during John's day. And the message that is contained to each of these seven churches were relevant at their time. So when John wrote, when Jesus spoke, remember how, how it came from God the Father to God the Son. Remember the, the way that the, the message came to John and to an angel, finally to John, to be given to the church. That church existed in that time and the message to that church was relevant to that church at that time. And basically, the conditions or the things that were to be addressed, that's what we mean by the message was relevant. The things that Jesus talks about to those churches, those issues existed at that time, okay? And he, Jesus, expected those issues to be remedied by the church. If he wanted the church to repent, then he, he expected repentance from the church and whatever changes that Jesus commanded to that church in that time. And all seven churches that he wrote to existed at that time. Okay? All seven churches existed at that time. So, also too, so this has to do with the historical side of what we mean by the historic historical prophetic interpretation that the letter had relevance to that church at that time to which Jesus was writing to. All right. Then now when I say Jesus, we know John. And then the second part of that historical prophetic interpretation. Okay. What you will notice concerning, and now I'm dealing with the prophetic side of it is these seven churches that Jesus has commanded John to write to are an indication of the seven ages of the church. Okay. Okay. Let me slow it down. I want you guys to get it good. When we look at the entire period of the church from the time of the birth of the church, Acts chapter two until the rapture of the church. Okay. These seven churches, each of them, each of them will have certain things that speak of basically what the nature of the church will be like during the seven ages of the church. So when we, for example, when we deal with the very first church and we'll get into that in short order, the church of Ephesus. We will we will learn that this will deal with the apostolic age of the church lasting for only a short period of time. So and the things that he says about the apostolic church will be and the, the church of Ephesus. You'll see that we'll talk about it. This will basically that particular idea will dominate the entire church period. What did I just say? That particular idea, what he says about the church of Ephesus, will basically, predominantly, it'll dominate the whole era of the church for that period, for that period. But, but, even, even though this will be the dominant mindset, the, the dominant appearance of the whole church during that period, 
all seven of the churches. You know, in other words, from Ephesus and Smyrna and, and, and all of the different things that we will talk about. All seven churches will always be there for the most part. That's the general idea. So as we move through the churches, this and, and this is the part that is sometimes difficult to understand. In the prophetic sense, the prophetic sense. And one of the reasons why we say prophetic is, is really important to understand is this. Notice only seven churches are addressed in the region of Asia Minor. But there were more than seven churches in the region. For example, the church of Colos, the, the church where we call the letter to the Colossians, right? They were also church, a, a church in that region, but it was not addressed in chapters two and three. And the reason why it is not addressed is because the Lord is not only addressing particular issues that are happening in that church, historic that's the historic part of it. But also he's dealing with what the church will be like over the entire life or the age of the church. So let me try to make it clear again. The prophetic side is dealing with as we begin to deal with each letter to the church, it will deal with an age in the church and these ages will be consecutive ages of the church. So as we move from Ephesus and then we move to Smyrna, Ephesus will be one age of the church. Okay. Up until a certain time period. And then Smyrna, as it speaks to that church will be another age of the church up until another time period of the church and thus forth and, and Pergamum and for and all the way up unto Laodicea, which will be the last age of the church. And, and as a matter of fact, I'm being a little premature, but that is where we are now in Laodicea, the last age of the church. And as we also wanted to bring out, and, but even though we, these ages will dominate the characteristics. When I say ages, the characteristics, the things that Jesus says about the church, it'll be a part of that age. It will dominate those periods that we just talked about. Okay. But all seven churches will still be there in every age. So all seven churches or descriptors or things, the natures of the church as a whole. All seven things will be there, but one will be dominant. And that's what you have to see. One part of the description will be dominant concerning the age of the church in that period. So that's what we mean when we say the historical prophetic interpretation. Historical, and, and by historical, and notice in historical as well, guys, as I'm here. All seven of those churches that John wrote to are now gone. They don't exist anymore. So that yields, that, that, that tells us that if the historical interpretation has validity. And then the prophetic part of it and how it speaks with what the ages of the church and how that one church, the, the, the descriptions of that church will dominate a particular age. Okay. And that everything that he says to that particular church, all of it could not possibly fit 
or was fulfilled in the historical church. And we'll talk about that as we approach it. All right. For for example, the Church of Philadelphia. Right. The Church of Philadelphia no longer exists. But notice what Jesus said to the Church of Philadelphia, that he will remove that church from the trouble that should come upon the face of the whole world. Now, how can you remove a church from the troubles? That is, guys, the great tribulation. That is to come upon the whole world when that church no longer exists. So therefore, it must be speaking what? Prophetically of a church description of an age. All right. But we'll move. We'll deal with all of those particular details as we talk about the churches. So now we have just dealt with the issue of what our method of interpretation being historical prophetic interpretation. And that's how we will try to understand the message to the churches. Okay, and finally, let's talk about the basic outline of each letter. Now, notice I said basic because some things are not involved in every letter. But the basic outline of the letter would be the destination, that is, to the church that it is written to, the description of Jesus, and that's referring back to chapter 1, the description of the glorified Son of God, okay? Number three, the commendation. And by commendation, Jesus will speak well of the church in some way, talk about some of the good things that he has approved in the conduct of the church. And then there will be a condemnation, a condemnation, the things clearly that he does not like. And then there will be an exhortation from Jesus to change or to do things different An exhortation with the encouragement of a finally a promise that, you know, that he's going to do something or bless those individuals who obey what he has said with a particular promise. All right. And like I said, this is basic a basic outline of each letter because some things, for example, commendation, that means simply to speak well of for the church of Laodicea, the seventh church, Jesus has absolutely nothing good to say about that church at all. And then, like we just said, condemnation. For the churches of, what is it, Smyrna and Philadelphia, condemnation, something bad to say. Jesus has nothing bad to say about these two particular churches. So the point there is, this is the basic outline of the letters to the seven churches. Okay, guys, that's the introductory material that we need to understand these letters to the seven churches. Again, number one, what did we do? Let's do a quick review. These letters are written to the visible church. That is to all people who are professing Christian as Christian believers in the church. The church is made of both visible, everybody, true saints and saints who are not genuine and the visible. The visible includes what? Those, only those who are truly saved in the church. And we talked about what is the church? What is the church? It is inclusive of people who are professing believers in Jesus from the time of Acts 2, that's the coming of the Holy Spirit, up until the period of the rapture. 
Okay, those are the members of the church. Then we talked about what the general structure of the address of Jesus to the church. A description of the glorified Messiah and that he said he knew all things concerning the church. I know. And then there is the exhortation that he gives to overcome some particular sin or events in the church. And then there is that admonition. He who has an ear. Then we talked about method interpretation, method of interpretation. And we use what the historical prophetic interpretation historical the words the letters the seven letters has a meaning to those seven churches that existed in john's day historical prophetic the letters speak by prophetic of the seven ages of the church from the moment of the church's inception on the day of pentecost all the way up until the church will be raptured the church Age, that's what we mean by age, the period of the church's existence. The church age is basically prophetically divided into seven periods. And those seven periods will be described by these seven churches. From Ephesus, the first period of the church, apostolic age, all the way up to the seventh period, which is the final period, Laodicea that seventh letter to the church, which will be the final age of the church in which we basically see a corruption, a complete corruption of the entire church. That age of the church's life will be described from the seven periods. This is what, we, what is referred to as the prophetic side. So our method of interpretation, historical prophetic. And then we finally ended with the basic outline of the letters again. What? The destination. And then we have a description of the glorified Messiah. Then we have a commendation from Jesus. Then we have condemnation from Jesus. Then we have an exhortation from our Lord. And finally, a promise given to those who will make the changes or simply as we would say, obey what he has said. All right, guys. With all of that, the next time we come back, we're going to open up in chapter 2 and we'll deal with the church of Ephesus. All right, I'll catch you next time. Have you subscribed yet? What are you waiting for? Subscribe now.